Welcome to The Jesus Follower, a podcast about helping ordinary people be close to an extraordinary God. The goal? To help you experience the life you were designed to live in the good times, tough times, and in the moments that nobody else sees. The season finale of The Jesus Follower. I'm here with Pastor Daniel Keaton. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Andrew, and hello, all of you. And we are excited about this. I'm excited about this finale today. Uh, I think it's really going to be a blessing for for all of us and glad that you're here to, to see it as well. Yes, we just had the pleasure of interviewing Jen Pollock Michelle, and we're looking forward to showing you that conversation. I'll read her bio here for us. Jen Pollock Michelle is a writer, speaker, coach, and podcast host. She's the author of five books, A Habit Called Faith, Surprised by Paradox, which was the winner of Christianity Today's 2020 Award of Merit for Beautiful Orthodoxy, uh, Keeping Place, and Teach Us to Want, which was the winner of Christianity Today's 2015 Book of the Year. All those are fantastic. I have read uh, all of those, I believe. Her fifth book in Good Time, I haven't gotten to read that one, just released on December 13th, 2022. She holds a BA in French from Wheaton College, an MA in Literature from Northwestern University, and is working to complete an MFA from Seattle Pacific University. And after 11 years of living in Toronto, Jen now lives in Cincinnati with her husband and her two youngest children. Uh, This was such a blessing to uh, chat with her and we get into a lot of good topics today yeah and a lot of a lot of topics that's applicable to i think where where we are and and that's applicable to what really this podcast is about i think and just trying to be the best jesus follower that we can be and that's where she is and just a little bit of a different context but still pursuing the same savior so that's an awesome thing to see yeah so if you want to learn more about uh, what was it having a good christian faith in your vocation yeah. and uh good discussion complementarianism and a rule of life you don't know what that is stick around and um yeah we're looking forward to showing you this so without further ado here is our conversation with jen pollock michelle all right hello jen welcome on to the podcast Thank you, Andrew. Great to be here, Daniel. Thank you. Yeah, and it's so exciting to uh, have you in our neck of the woods now. You've been a lot of places, but your current place is uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, right near us. Uh, we hope you we hope you've enjoyed it thus far. I know not right now it's kind of hazy. All the Canadian wildfires are coming down to us. I know. But, uh, I know. But uh, it's been great. Uh, yeah, especially when we had those really warm days in February. I thought. Okay, this was this was a good this was a good move. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't always happen, but uh, that's I, that's what people tell me. But I'm just plugging my ears, and I'm going to pretend that it always happens in February. Right? Yeah, we'll we'll believe for it. We're Baptists, but we'll uh, that's a word of faith kind of thing, right? Um, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, no, you're a uh, well. I, Say this is a nice way possible. I feel like you're a unicorn in regards to uh, writers and Christians in the day. You um, write these theological books, but you're very open about uh, saying you're a writer first and not a a theologian. Your education background is in uh, literature and writing. So uh, if you could just give us a lowdown, how how do you get there as uh, an Mm. individual? 
I think this was an interesting question to start with. I wish more people asked that question because I do think it is strange for people. You know, they puzzle them. You know, it's a bit puzzling, the biography. Um, you know, I guess I could go back as far as, you know, at my early days of following Jesus and feeling a call of some kind on my life, I think I would have said early on that maybe that would have been missions. I went hmm. to Wheaton College and, you know, was very open. I was a French major at Wheaton. So, you know, I just, I would say I didn't have a particular plan. I didn't, you know, I didn't do Christian education at Wheaton. I did, I did French secondary education. I became a French high school teacher, but I think there was always a great openness um, to whatever God had for me. Um, and even in my early kind of days of following Jesus, I was writing things, devotional things for friends. And um, it just was a very natural way to express um, my faith. And I think even just to learn to grow personally as a Christian, you know, I was just an early journaler and reader. But my formation is in literature. Um, and I don't see that all that dissimilar from, you know, what I do every day when I open up the Bible. You know, I think that in graduate school, I mean, I'm doing a second graduate degree now. My first graduate degree was in literature. And I remember I actually missed my first graduate class. I was traveling. Um, and I came back and I had to do like a close reading of um, a Dickens novel, like a 10 page paper on like a paragraph, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that I was doing in that program was just like really close readings of texts. And I think that's actually served me really well as just a regular Bible reader, you know, as I hope and pray that most Christians would be like, I don't have theological training. I, I do have, you know, I'm thankful to have had a Christian education at Wheaton. Um, so I have a little bit of like, I've got a New Testament course, an Old Testament course, Christian thought course, you know, theology and culture course, like I have those under my belt. And I do think that that gives me at least a start for how to choose resources, you know, or wade mm. through theological resources. So the kind of self-teaching that I've done over the years, I think has been aided by that background. Um, but yeah, and then coming to write, I mean, the first writing that I ever did was actually for Moody. I was in a small group with, um, a, you know, a woman who was a friend and she was the editor of Today in the Word, which is their devotional publication. And they needed some freelance editing. And so I, I started to do that for them um, when my kids were little. And it just turned out that they were also looking for a writer. Simultaneously, I was doing some writing for my church. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Um, and I Actually, they were yeah soliciting submissions from different writers, and I didn't get I didn't get picked. And I was oh, like, oh, I thought that no. was going to be so perfect, Lord. Um, but they asked me to resubmit the next year, and so I started writing for Moody. So the first published writing that I did was for Moody, and I think that just perhaps set me on a course to be thinking about theological writing to feel really comfortable in that space. And it really was a little bit later that I started to do more personal writing. Um, but I think unicorn is probably a good way of putting it. I mean, I think very much for me personally, I do struggle a lot with a sense of, um, you know, 
like I don't have a good label. Like, am I a writer who is a Christian? Am I a Christian writer? You know, what comes first? And, and I don't know that, I mean, obviously my Christian faith comes first, but you know, it's like, if you were a, if you were a plumber, you know, your Christian faith would matter, but you know, you would just hope to fix toilets as well as you could. Um, (laughs) so I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be different kinds of writing for me in the future. Um, I, I, you know, beyond just very theologically focused works. Um, I don't know, but I remain open to that and consider that it is a calling. I definitely feel that I'm called to be a writer and it's something that I'm trying to nurture um, with and steward with faithfulness. Hmm. I think it's a really helpful perspective, especially in the age which we live today. Even I feel like the evangelical Christian culture has been kind of prune or, you know, uh, growing this attitude for decades that almost it's better to be pragmatic about your faith than creative, you know, or explorative. So uh, it seems in some circles, obviously the right answer is to be a Christian first and then a writer because, you know, it's, it's more important, but I appreciate the perspective that it's not that uh, it's, it's not necessarily tiered like ABCD. You can be a writer and even more effective in your message as a writer first, and then just, just be yourself as a Christian and have that be part of you through that instead of just having your Christianity as something you project solely. Hmm. You know, it's the difference. It's interesting because I just, I mean, as a writer, as a reader, as someone who, you know, has had literary formation, you know, through my education, I just read a novel, um, not a Christian by a Christian, a very popular novel. And I'm not even going to say the name of it because I want to be a little bit critical of it. But the novel was like essentially kind of veiled propaganda for like scientism, really, like just this like very like you know, science is the best. And if we only all turn to science, and this is a novel, it's not a nonfiction work, but it was very propaganda-ish, you know, like the, you know, when I think of, and I think that that can happen in a lot of different ways. I mean, I think that um, the best writing is actually it leaves us a little with, with a lot of complications. And that's what wasn't complicated in this particular novel. It's like all the good characters were atheist and believed in science. And all the bad characters were people who maybe had religious predispositions or affiliations or loyalties. And, you know, they were bad. And that's pretty much how the novel broke down. And I think that's bad writing because mm. actually, Human beings don't generally work like that. Like what did, you know, Solzhenitsa say that, you know, the line um, between good and evil divides the heart, like divides each of our hearts. Um, And so people don't divide in those kinds of easy, facile ways. So all that to be, all that to say that um, I would love as a writer, like, and as a writer who was a Christian to, to write really well and to write the things that are true um, and not to just like prop up certain, like prop up certain ideas um, just because, you know, maybe that won't make me look good or get people in my theological tribe to, you know, give me the thumbs up. I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's making any sense, but I think back to the generation of writers like 
Tolkien and Lewis and the Inklings who were so committed to to art and to literature and tell and like telling really good and true stories and I want for more Christians to rally around that um, and not just writers, you know, whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it unto the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now don't take shortcuts. Don't um, just because. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a vocational faithfulness in whatever we're doing. And I feel that very strongly as a writer um, and feel, feel also that I fall very, short of my ideals as a writer as well, but I guess, I guess we all do. Don't we all, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. But uh, it is true. I've been um, just pondering recently um, just these deep theological truths that were so readily acceptable by the early church, and that led to so many conversions that obviously was led by the Holy Spirit, but yet you couldn't really put it on a website to look at tra- like, mm. like what is the Trinity or what is the deity of Christ or humanity of Christ? You know, it's just so, and we, and we made the point, we we're talking about this um, the other day that, uh, that it, it seems like a common theme, even biblically that, uh, that in that, that Christ and that life in Christ brings a depth that kind of trumps the superficiality that we kind of have mm. to start with from a, from a human driven perspective. I think we see that by a lot of the way the faith might be marketed today is that, uh, or marketed, you know, I, I say that, but oh, um, in word. books, it makes books that's... like yours harder to sell <laughs> probably because it's yeah. not one genre. Yes. But absolutely. Uh, but yeah, Daniel, what do you have? I'm sorry. It's hard to give and take. No, no, you're good. I, I was just thinking, you know, cause I know you, you spent some time in Toronto yes. most recently and a lot of times, you know, in my experience, because I was bivocational pastor in Kentucky. Wow. And, and a lot of times when you have another expertise that kind of leads the way, sometimes that creates an avenue of people that you can witness to in a different way than like if I was to come in as a primary you know, pastor and I didn't have that kind of extra area of expertise. Have you found that? especially being in Toronto, you know, I know it can be a challenging possible place there when it comes to evangelistic things. Um, Have you found that being a writer, a Christian writer has opened the door uh, for you to be a witness in places that maybe that door wouldn't have been open to? Hmm, That's a great question. I tell an interesting story at the beginning of a habit called faith Um, my husband and I were actually at one of his colleagues, um, the, an apartment in downtown Toronto, like this beautiful penthouse condo essentially. And, um, his, his, this colleague, his wife was a writer. And so we ended up getting into a conversation. She's a best-selling author, (laughs) crime novelist, um, won't say her name, but, um, but it was interesting because we did get into a conversation about writing. So it just so happened that she was talking about how she had just turned in another manuscript that morning. And um, there was another couple there. And after dinner, 
the couples divided, the women, you know, went off one room and the men in the other. And so she, this is the first time that I was meeting her. And she said, so, so what is it that you do? And I said, well, I'm actually a writer too. Mm-hmm. Haven't made the New York times bestselling list, the bestseller <laughs> list, but um, she said, Oh, and so interesting. You know, what do you write about? And that is always such an interesting question. I think that's always a wonderful way to start into a conversation with a non-believer because I'm obviously mm-hmm. going to talk about what I write about. And I struggled, I would say in Toronto, just to find the kinds of words that would always leave the door open. I think that what happens in Toronto is that so often the first mention of faith or church or God, people are like, it's just like the veil comes down, you know, like very politely, like, oh, I hope we're not going to talk about that. That's going (laughs) to be awkward. So in that particular conversation, I said, well, I write about faith. I write about Christian faith. And so she kind of looks like she's taken aback and she says, um, like, so does that mean you believe in the Bible? I mean, she's just like, just kind of stunned. And I said, it does. I do believe in the Bible. And she said, like the literal Bible, like Adam and Eve and Noah. And I said, oh, I think that would be such a great conversation to talk more about what you mean by the word literal. Because I think there, you know, I I don't want to just kind of fall into or hand over to her assumptions about what that means. You know, I mean, I don't know what she actually means by literal. Um, And so, but she didn't take the bait. She just said, oh. oh, you know, so it is a great way to talk to people. Um, it's almost like probably being a pastor, right? You know, certain conversations can probably shut down pretty quickly as soon as you tell somebody that you're a pastor. Um, and that can happen too. But I try to find ways to say, you know, yeah, you know, what I'm interested in. And I think the interesting thing is there's always a way to talk about books. Um, I read a lot of books Mm -hmm. and I find that I read a lot of books that aren't written by Christians. And that is just a wonderful way to just kind of get into the mind of, you know, just ordinary people. So often, you know, you can talk with your neighbors, but you don't always get super deep um, unless you know them really well. And I'm new to Cincinnati, so all of my neighbor conversations are pretty superficial at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, reading books by contemporary authors, you know, or even like, or even honestly, just the novel that I was just telling you about was like, okay, this is what people believe. Religious people are bad. And scientific truth is foolproof. And yeah. so you kind of get to know, I guess, even the mind and mentality of people, or at least glimpse it. You get to glimpse at that. And I do think that that helps in conversations with people. Because um, I think people, I, yeah, I think it's great to know the caricatures of Christians that are out there. Um, and I usually in conversations with people, I'll say things like, I know you're probably thinking X, you know, um, but gosh, I actually, you know, read the New York times or, you know, like, I don't know, whatever it is that they may assume that is true about Christians. I try to expose that early on in conversations and, or, or ask about it. I don't want to assume that they, that they automatically think that, but, but, you know, I might say, 
yeah, I bet you, you know, might think this, is that true? And well, I'd love to tell you more. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I, I just, you know, I think about even like on the mission field and stuff, sometimes those, yeah. those uh, hidden expertise can be used to, yeah. to kind of get you, get you in. And then, uh, you know, as you wait, uh, seeking for the door to be opened for you to go a little further. I mean, it kind of works the same way. I think Yes. when, when you are gifted in the way that you are, uh, and, and I'm sure as you've moved from Toronto to here, the contexts are quite different, I would imagine, right? <laughs> so different. So different. I think I'm still figuring it out. So you guys will have to, you guys could probably just teach me. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're pretty new too. I think Daniel's. Mm. Well, we've all been here under like ten years, so we're probably mm-hmm. none of us are subject matter experts. But I, I was going to ask you, what what are you reading right now? Yeah, well, right. I'm getting ready to. I've been rereading Oliver Berkman's Four Thousand Weeks, which is a mm. book about time. He called the subtitle is Time Management for Mortals. Um, so I am rereading that for actually the conversation that I'm having, um, next after we hang up here. Um, but that's like a great example. Like I read that book back when I was writing my book in good time. And I think this is, this is a wonderful book for Christians to read because here's a guy who was a productivity guru, essentially is what he says. Um, and then he came to, he got married, he had children and he started to realize like, Ooh, I might have to reconsider my relationship to all this like productivity must get things done, work, achieve accomplishment. And so the whole book is kind of trying to unravel like the illusion of time management, but, and he does a great, he diagnoses the problems of anxiety, time anxiety, but he doesn't really have a solution. You know, he's not able to give any hope to people whose lives are really as short as ours are. And, you know, the true problem of mortality problem, I don't know if it's a problem, but the reality of mortality and the, the, the just that we're not in control of time. So I'm reading that. Mm-hmm. I have to read Julian of Norwich and T.S. Eliot um, for my August MFA residency. This is my last one. So I'm towards the end of the program. Um, so oh. I also was given a copy of the new biography of Elizabeth Eliot. So that's been on my nightstand the last couple of nights. I can't, I think it's just Elizabeth Eliot Alive. Um, okay. So there are two biographies. Well, one came out of Elizabeth Elliot, who's kind of, I don't know if I would say she's a hero, but I would definitely say she's an early influence in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a biography that kind of did the first half of her life. And I listened to that last year um, when it came out and I've been waiting for the second half, but now this new biography is out. So I'm like, great. I don't know what the story is. I'm like, I think the other one might be the authorized one by the family. I'm not sure how they came about. So that's on my nightstand. I just finished an anthology on poetry. Um, I think it's called Christian Poetry Since 1940. Or, yeah, Ooh. I think, mm. I think, um, and it, it won an award in last year's Christianity Today 
today, their book awards. And I remember seeing it there. And then I was talking to Bruce Beasley, who's the poet featured in the book, in the anthology in March. And he said, oh, you know, I, I really think they did a great job with the anthology. And I thought, well, okay, that's a good endorsement. So mm -hmm. I just finished that. I've just been working my way really slowly through that. Um, so those are a few things are, you know, I kind of dabble. I have a lot of things going on at the same time as you guys probably do too. Oh yeah. I have this problem. I can't read one thing at once. I find myself no, I know. reading everything, finishing nothing. And it's hard to, yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's just too much good to read, right? Yes. But uh, but yeah, I will uh, put those in the description of this video, the show notes uh, for your all's reference and my reference too. But um, I, I did want to ask you, speaking of Elizabeth Elliot, um, I didn't realize until uh, listening to some podcasts you've been on, reading up on you, you grew up a Southern Baptist. Uh, yep. We are a Southern Baptist church, and uh, there's just been a yep. lot of discussion recently about uh, the role of women in the church. And um, I kind of lament that sometimes the conversation veers towards the area of just, uh, you know, women as a topic and not as women, you know, <laughs> or mm. as a as a theological topic and not as as women. So can you speak to uh, just just your perspective as a writer? And, uh, you know, uh, well, yeah, a writer in uh, Christianity in the church today? Yeah. Oh, that's a big topic, isn't it? I mean, I would definitely, I mean, to use the word topic again, um, yeah. you know, would definitely say that this does play into the question that we started with, you know, why, why do I write about theology, but maybe why do I consider myself a writer before anything else? Um, I think for sure, you know, growing up Southern Baptist, just in a complementarian context, I just didn't, even though I felt a sense of calling on my life, I did not think that that would be expressed as, you know, in any kind of pastoral capacity. And so writing kind of felt like a way to, I don't know, work out some of the things that I was thinking about. Um, and I think Elizabeth Elliot, you know, I think that her influence in my life for sure was important. Um, just to see a woman who, again, I, she went to Wheaton College as well, but I, she didn't really have theological training beyond that. Although I think she was a, a Greek major. Like, so, I mean, she her familiarity and expertise with the scriptures is, is <laughs> far surpasses my own. Um, but, you know, to see somebody who was teaching, I mean, she was really teaching the Bible, um, teach and expressing spiritual truth um, on the page. Um, and that, I think, was an important example to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I've pretty much started to think, I just don't know what to say about this topic. I think that. I mean, I'll say now I was raised Southern Baptist and I'm very, very thankful for that upbringing. I mean, I think my love for the Bible was instilled in me and just Sunday after Sunday and VBS and GAs and just every youth group, everything that I did, you know, just to see it modeled that people were taking the scriptures seriously. And I think for me as a woman, that's always where this question has had to be rooted in 
one of the first published pieces that I did for Christianity Today was called The Accidental Complementarian. Raised in a complementarian context, went to Wheaton College, exposed to egalitarian thinking and theology. And I would have said that my husband and I, who married right after right after Wheaton, we would have called ourselves egalitarian at the time. You know, I think it just, yeah, I mean, I don't know, for whatever reason that seemed very persuasive at the time. And then there was just this kind of a slow return. Um to a complementarian kind of, I guess, commitment conviction um, hmm. through a lot of a lot of different things. Um, but I think ultimately, when I wrote that piece for Christianity Today, sort of just kind of talking a little bit about that journey, I said, you know, I I do struggle with it. I struggle with it. I I mean, I think as a woman, I wish I didn't. I wish that I could just give myself wholeheartedly to the idea that, you know, women could do anything in the church that men could do. I, but I keep, I feel constrained by scripture on that. And I mentioned in that article reading first Corinthians 11 was a really big passage for me in my return, I would say to a complementarian conviction. Um, and I remember reading, um, oh gosh, and I'm going to forget his name. He's at Duke and it's not Hauerwas. Um, it's another theologian there who wrote mm -hmm. a, a commentary on First Corinthians. Um, can't think of his name right now. And First Corinthians 11, essentially what he says about that passage is, you know, we're probably going to just have to disagree with Paul here. And I thought, I just, I don't think I can do that. Like, or I don't, or not even... I don't think I can do that. Or I don't even know what he means by that. Um, so that is sort of the journey. I mean, I will say I, I went to my PCA membership interview. I'm now in a PCA church in Toronto, PCA church here in Cincinnati. And, um, you know, I express concerns. I mean, things are happening in the PCA just like they're happening in the Southern Baptist Convention um, that that make me so terribly sad. Mm. Um, and I said, I, and so the question in the interview was, do you have any reservations about joining this church? And I said, I do have reservations about joining the PCA <laughs> church. I want to be really honest about that. Mm. And I worry that I think, my most of my worries are not about that women won't be able to find ways to exercise their gifts. Like I do think that even in a complementarian context with pastors who are looking at their congregation, men and women alike, and trying to identify the gifts that are there and create room and space and training and opportunity for the exercise of those gifts. Like I think that that, women can find ways to teach. I've found ways to teach in my church. Um, my bigger concern is that all male leadership and women's stories, particularly of sexual abuse, um, uh, with, you know, stories that they bring into church, stories that happen at church, like where women, I think, listen to those stories differently than men do. 
Um, mm-hmm. Which isn't to say that men aren't sympathetic or compassionate. Like godly men can be sympathetic and compassionate. I just think that they hear it differently. I think that to be embodied as a woman just means I have a different level of sympathy for some of these stories. And so I've seen, so I, I, that, that's my nervousness. Uh, truthfully about complementarian context is that women's stories maybe won't be listened to or heard or whether there won't be enough protections in place for women. I mean, if hmm. even despite, and this is what, this is, and you can cut all of this, by the way. Oh, no, is, no. I, <laughs> not, I, talk I mean, about I could be getting stuff. myself into a, a, a lot of trouble here. But no. um, what I said <laughs> in particular to our pastor at the membership interview, it's like, I believe that godly men, um, like, you know, can lead in godly ways. I also think institutional processes and procedures have to be in place to protect women. Um, so that that's kind of where I will leave it. So I don't pr- have any particular angst right now um, as a woman. Like I feel like I have opportunities to serve in my church um, in ways that I feel called. Um, but those would be the anxieties that I have. Mm. Yeah. Well, so that, that's uh, that's probably that something I got should. Us into <laughs> oh no! I drove waters. us into the weeds, right? No, I <laughs> like I said, I have a casual conversation. They don't bring uh, that up in advance, but uh, but uh, where in your mind? I'm trying to frame this question so we don't have to go deeper into the rabbit hole, but um, or deeper than you want, I guess. But where is uh, the ideal in, in keeping with the complementarian um, theology? and having that multiplicity of perspectives from men and women in church leadership. Does that have to be, uh, you know, mutually exclusive? I know the, <laughs> that easy answer is no, but uh, where do you think is a good path forward for the church at large? Because it is a problem. Mm, yeah. I would love to see more formal pathways for women who have teaching and leading gifts to kind of be like, brought up in, and and kind of invested with with like um authority i mean it doesn't you don't have to be an elder you don't have to be a deacon you know but you can within the body you know the body can and the pastoral leaders and elders and deacons you know we can say these women have the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, the character of um, Jesus Christ, like we would entrust ministry roles and responsibilities to them. And so it's not as ad hoc as, oh, you're married to an elder. So therefore you, you know, get to when there's a woman who has, for example, a domestic abuse situation well, we'll call the wives of the, of the elders or the deacons. Like they're kind of by de facto, leaders, but they don't really, they haven't gone through any kind of formal processes or training even. I mean, this is what I rue as a woman is like, um, I've, I've been given a lot of opportunities to serve and I'm so grateful, but like, I don't have, I don't, I haven't been able to follow the process that for instance, you guys have like, I, and I'm not even talking about ordination. I'm just talking about some sort of 
way in which the body collectively says, we see this in you and you're accountable to this. Not just that we name the gift in you, but we now we're providing some accountability, some support, some training, some formation. I don't know what that looks like. I mean, in our church in Toronto, we were talking about like a women's advisory council. Um, and I don't know how that works together in coordination with the elders and the deacons of the church and the, the pastoral staff. But I think wise men, I think, would probably generally say there are some things that are just really tricky. Really, really, like we're talking you know, rape and um, domestic violence. And honestly, even here would be a procedural thing that I was talking about. Let's just like, if there are things, accusations that come up in the church, like how are those handled? Where do women say, you know, I feel that I, this was in, an improper, somebody conducted themselves improperly towards me. And this is a staff member. Like, where do they go? <laughs> what do they say? And um, so hmm. it's, it's really, really thorny, you know, in the Southern Baptist convention, you've got your particular challenges because each individual church is, I guess, sort of figuring that out differently. Um, in the PCA, you know, they're d denominationally, they're doing more, but then, you know, you run into, challenges with that. But I guess the ideal for me, you know, if I had, I wish as a 25 year old, because I was, I mean, I think I was, I think that these gifts that, you know, hopefully I've, I'm exercising now, I think they were there in nascent form. You know, I think that, and I, and I even had people tell me, but there were no pathways. And that's, and, it, and I'm not talking pathway straight into, you know, you're going to be a pastor or an elder, like in a complementarian context, you know, we know that that's not available to women. But what 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 does it look like for a woman in her 20s to be able to identify a gift and then take it seriously and cultivate it and use it within the church? I mean, the thing is, is that it's for the body of Christ, you know, it's not for her individually. We have our gifts for each other. Mm. And so um, if we don't use them, then it's the body that suffers. I mean, we suffer too, I think, if we don't use our gifts and cultivate them. But so mm. I don't know if I'm making, maybe I'm just muddying the waters more. No, no, I you are. That's a good word. A What's challenging question. Yeah. No, go, Daniel. Yeah, Sorry, you did a great you. job with a with a challenging question. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one to just, to just grab hold of like that. But I think, I mean, you make a really good point. I mean, th that we want to, we want to affirm and be able to help develop the gifts in, in everyone as God places yeah. those upon people. And you're right. It's the body will suffer. And we talk about that kind of regularly i feel like out of first corinthians 12 specifically how god puts the members of the body in place as he sees fit and so it it consists of all that god puts in in place and so all are needed for yes. each member of the body to function properly so uh, i appreciate you sharing that perspective because for us i mean that's really important to hear you know where are some things and i don't know when you made the when you kind of 
left the Southern Baptist? I mean, when you um, stepped out of, of the Southern Baptist uh, arena, I guess you would say. But it's important that we are taking that very seriously and, and helping all to cultivate their gifts and to grow in those gifts for the purpose of the body of Christ. So I I really appreciate that perspective because it is kind of a, it's a giant question um, that, that brings about a lot of discussion and a lot of differing opinions. Yeah. uh, Very strong opinions. But Mm -hmm. I, I really believe that, you know, in the Lord, I, I appreciate the way that you answered the question, especially not seeing it beforehand. (laughs) 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 I think you did phenomenal with it. So I just, I'll just say that I appreciate the input. (laughs) Well, if you decide to cut it, well, I'll understand. Oh, no, no, no. 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 I think it was good. That's great. And now we're moving on to the pros and cons of infant baptism. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hash all that out. Let's get it all on the table. Yeah, let's just get it all out. But uh, I kind of buried the lead. I asked you initially uh, what you wanted to talk about, and uh, you said uh, talking about a a rule of life, which is something that uh, you talk about on your your website. That is kind of, uh, as you mentioned, foreign to us, uh, well, to me and us in probably a Baptist setting. Uh, Can you give us an elevator pitch and a definition even for um, a rule of life? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason we haven't heard of it is that it comes to us from the monks and the nuns. And so it, it is very, it's more Catholic in origin. I would say the way that I've come to define a rule of life is a practice. So it's like a spiritual practice, you know, just like reading your Bible and, you know, serving your neighbor and praying, um, a practice that you take up to pattern your life in faithful response to God's voice. So St. Benedict um, in the fourth, fifth century was, you know, his rule is probably the most famous. So the rule of St. Benedict wrote it for, you know, the monasteries, the, the monks that he was joining together in communities. And essentially the rule was just a way to apply scripture to the particular context for their communities. So it was kind of like, there's how we're going to treat our guests. Here's how we're going to work our way through um, meditating on scripture throughout the year. Here will be our days for fasting. Here is how we're going to, you know, actually there's just no private ownership, you know, so here are even the clothes you're going to wear. Here are the time, here are the times of the day and night that you're going to pray. And you can see where this leads. You know, we're going straight to the Reformation where we have the reformers say, we don't need all of these extra biblical rules and traditions. We need to return to scripture. And so I think that's a very legitimate criticism of some of the extra kind of biblical things that were coming in for centuries, you know, up until the Reformation. The reason that I think a rule of life has can be a practice that's beneficial for us, and, and I mean, it's not like we're doing it like the monks and the nuns. You know, generally a rule of life, you could do a rule for your family, you could do a rule for a pastoral staff, and you can also do a rule just for yourself personally. And I think of it as a practice of saying, 
what is God calling me to in this particular season of my life? So living in response to God's voice, you know, that's really at the heart of a rule. And even mm -hmm. St. Benedict said that he said, you know, you've, you've got to have ears to hear. We've got to hear what Jesus is calling us to where this isn't just like, what's important to me right now, but no, what is, what has God been saying to me? How can I discern what, um, is most important for this particular season. How, what do I need to be faithful in? And then how am I going to do that? You know, very, very practically. And the thing that I think is really cool about it, um, or at least I should say the way that it's, I feel that it's benefiting me is number one, it's, it's helping me to be realistic about my choices. Like I can't do everything. Mm -hmm. I, and nobody can. No, everybody has a limited amount of time. And so it's a practice of like really kind of saying, okay, God, help me to make the hard choices and then help me to know what to say yes to and help, help me to know what to say no to. The other thing I think that for me has been a shift being my last book was about time management and I was such a like... I read every time management book. I was always like the goal setter, the planner. A rule is not about like all of these outcome based goals that we actually don't have any control over. You know, for example, you may set a goal to run eight marathons this year and you might fall terribly ill and have no control over meeting that goal. Um, you could break your leg. I mean, who knows what could happen? So, so often we, these kind of goal oriented sort of approaches to life leave us without a lot of like, we don't really have an agency or control um, over determining whether or not we're going to finish that. A rule of life is a lot more about your habits and your practices every day, every week, you know, and, and what are the pathways toward faithfulness in your life? So my rule of life, you know, is talking about my habits and practices in my marriage um, as a mother, caring for my mom who's aging and has a health diagnosis, loving my neighbors and my city, loving my church community, taking care of my body, um, and then being a writer, obviously, is one of those too. being a friend. These are the kinds of things that ha like are part of my rule, you know, so instead of just saying, well, I hope, Lord, to be a faithful friend. It's like, well, what would that actually look like? Um, so in my rule, like it gets pretty specific. Um, and it's something to be revised. It's something to be continually discerned and prayed over. But I, I just think of it as a practice. It's just like a very intentional practice of saying, Lord, what specific things are you calling me to in this season? How will I be faithful to those things? And um, yeah, with your help, um, as best as I'm able, I will participate with your Holy Spirit in, in your work in this world. Mm. That's so good. Uh, I I was just thinking, well, you, I, I've, I've heard you say in different podcasts that you're an Enneagram one, and we're, I think Daniel and I are much oh, more yeah. uh, ish people. <laughs> I'm an Enneagram nine. I, we think okay. he's a three. <laughs> um, but okay. regardless, for <sighs> us ish people, as we say, how uh, what, what's a good first step towards, uh, you know, getting good boundaries on a rule of life? 
Yeah. Well, the first step, well, the first step that I, I go through five steps, actually, when I, when I do this as a workshop with people, the first step is that, you know, you got to look at your habits of listening to God's voice. And that's the first step. You can't live in response to God's voice unless you have habits of tuning into his voice. And I don't just mean um, sitting at home all by yourself reading, you know, reading your Bible. I do mean that. I 100% mean that. And I mean, getting yourself to church and listening, you know, participating in communal conversations of listening to God's voice um, as a part of a community. So there's individual and communal, communal aspect of that. Um, So that's where you start. You got to start where you're regularly listening to God's voice because you're going to have no idea how to write a rule if you don't know what God might be saying to you in this season. Um, and it's not like, I don't think God, you know, he hasn't like the, my rule, the practices that I've kind of come to haven't been delivered, hand delivered from heaven, but over, you know, it's even just kind of, it's, it's a lifelong practice, really, of listening to God's voice. But then the next one is you got to name your givens. Um, you ha- your own rule will be a particular expression of faithfulness in your life. So, Andrew, your rule wouldn't be Daniel's and Daniel's, your rule wouldn't be Andrew's because you have different responsibilities, different areas of focus and stewardship. Um, and I think that's one of the exciting things about asking people to engage that. So often our discipleship resources are just kind of this like generic template, which you have to do that, right? I mean, you can't individualize everything, but how wonderful for, you know, a business person and a plumber and a, a stay-at-home mom and a retiree and a, you know, newly graduated college student, you know, for each of them to be able to say, yeah, there are particular kind of, there's a particular uniqueness to my life, Mm -hmm. particular ways that I am called to be faithful, you know, your twenties versus your eighties, you know, that rule is probably going to look, there's going to be similarities. You know, I would say even like we talked about giftedness, like writing and reading, I was writing and reading in my twenties, but it looked a lot different than what it looks like now to what it might look like in my eighties. So you, you really start there listening to God's voice, identifying your givens, and then you have to, you know, you then you have to get into the nitty gritty of like, okay, mm-hmm. what are your desires? What is Jesus calling you? Like, where does your heart long to participate with God in what he's doing in the world? And, and then how are you going to, what is that actually going to look like? Um, so that you can look back at your rule and be like, how am I doing? How's that going? Holy spirit going to need a lot of help, you know? For example, I have in my role caring for my mom. That's the reason why we moved back to Cincinnati because of her health diagnosis. And um, you know, I think it would just be really easy to be like, yeah, I'm going to care for my mom. But like in my rule, it's like, I'm going to try to see her three times a week. Um, just for me, I don't know that everybody needs that kind of specificity, but we do. There's lots of research on habits that say the more specific you get, the better you're going to be able to measure how well it's going. Mm. Um, And so I think that's kind of a cool thing about a rule of life too. We're seeing a lot of new research on, or just a kind of a re interest, I guess, a a renewed interest in habits 
And that's what a rule of life is all based on. It's just your everyday kind of habits and practices. That's awesome. Oh, well, I think we can go an hour more on this and I want to, but we've got to let you go. Um, so yeah. it, Jen, when, where can people find you online today? Well, I do try to write a monthly or a weekly letter to anybody who subscribes on my website, jenpollockmichelle.com. I'm kind of taking a summer hiatus from that, but that is all kinds of musings about faith and habit and scripture and, and, you know, books I'm reading. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way. I am very occasionally on social media, on Instagram. People can find me at Jen P. Michelle. I don't think I've posted anything in a couple months, so you'll quickly find that I'm pretty irregular in those places. But the Monday letter is the best way to sort of just get regular content from me. Um, yeah. And you can find out about books and you can register for a workshop if you're interested, a rule of life workshop, and be glad to have you there too. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for being uh, on the Jesus Follower with us today. And um, if you could stay on with us briefly after we stop recording, that'd be awesome. Um, sure. But yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, you guys. All right, that was our conversation with Jen Pollock Michelle. What a conversation that was. I was so blessed by that. Ah, uh, yeah, very, very good conversation. She had some very good insight, and I think it'll be helpful for all that hear. So hopefully, it's as much of a blessing to you all as it was to us because I think she did a great job in the Lord. Yeah, she did. What a unique perspective. And I really hope we can have her back at some point or just uh ongoing relationship of some kind as as a church. I just the more voices we can we can hear, that's never a bad thing. I think she added a very uh effective and uh, gospel-centered perspective to uh what we're trying to do on this podcast and as a yeah. church and in our our lives. So yeah. Yeah, that was she, very beneficial. She gave us a, a good glimpse of of the the journey too, and I thought that was something that really stuck out to me the the journey through just trying to figure out biblically speaking what what the Bible actually said and where she really stood with things. And it was cool to kind of walk through that journey with her and as she navigated through those waters and. Um, just goes to show that, you know, just like we talk about here, we don't have it down yet. We're trying to get there. And sometimes mm, we yeah. we take some different turns, twists and turns and different directions to, to get there. But Lord willing, we'll all get there the best that we can in Jesus in the end. So That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, we've come to the end of what is what has become season one of the Jesus Follower. We want to thank you so much for joining us for these 43, I think it is now, episodes. And uh, it's been a blast. We're going to take a little break and record ahead a little bit into uh, the summer. And uh, you're going to Jamaica with a team from our church in a couple of weeks. And uh, it's exciting, but we're going to join you again around the beginning of the school year. So if you haven't yet already, please subscribe uh, to the podcast. Leave us a kind review wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we're also posting these online at our uh, church's YouTube channel at Rolling Hills Baptist Church. And um, as always, you can visit us online at fourfairfield.com, especially if you're not uh, at our church or from around here. We'd love to connect with you and to bless you and whatever ways we can and uh and really that'll keep you posted uh, by subscribing and just keeping watch over when we will uh start up again and any little uh, summer goodies that we'll insert in there and we'll also keep doing the sermons so they'll still be uh 
still be content coming up. But uh, but yeah, looking yeah. forward to what we have in this next season. Yeah, me too. Thank you all for hanging with us. I know you know the very first beginning, and those some of you have been with us from the very beginning. Thank you for doing that, and thank you all for joining in. and And we look forward to being back with you before too long. Yep, so I have a sermon on Monday. Keep watch for that. And um, until a couple of months, we will see you later.